Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is five-time Paralympian Kurt Fernley. This man has absolutely blown the field away. Kurt Fernley, here he is. Here he is. It is an 11th record-breaking win from the boy from Carcor, Kurt Fernley. What a star, what a champion, what a race, and what a win. Can I just double-check a couple of things? Because I'm always worried that, you know, Wikipedia and things get it wrong. But you went to five Paralympics. I did. Three gold Paralympic medals. Yep. Two gold at the Commonwealth Games. Yep. And like a bajillion um, first in marathons around the world. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty, pretty sure it's 42 wins in uh, 42 marathon wins. I'm pretty sure it was 42, 20 and 10. So I did... Um, 72 in total, 42 wins, 20 podiums, and 10 others. What do you call the others? Wait, what are 10 others? <laughs> I don't even know what the others are. <laughs> Just 10 other times where I was awesome. <laughs> 10 other times where uh, my family make fun of me. Yes. Because. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> relentless. Um, okay, cool. Well, we'll just get started. I will do like some sort of introductory thing, but not in front of you because I don't like doing that. (laughs) It's the worst. (laughs) Yeah. And here is Kurt Fernley, very fancy person with a portrait of himself behind. (laughs) That works, right? (laughs) You know, you know what it does. It does yeah, any okay. any any yarn you can start with a bit of mockery. It really <laughs> starting a yarn with a good chuckle is fantastic. That's it exactly. All right, Kurt. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a privilege and an honour to have you. It's really my pleasure. It's hard to start somewhere with you because you are this most exceptional person athlete, you're a classic overachiever, you've gone to a billion Paralympic Games, you've had just crazy amounts of wins around the world in marathon, in all of the events that you've taken part in. From your perspective, what is the event, what is the moment that you're most proud of in your sporting career? You know, know, when you're in it, it really doesn't seem that exceptional. You know, when you're doing it, you're just kind of doing it. Mm. Um, look, the, the the race that means the most to me is uh, is Gold Coast, mm. is the the Com Games, and it's really funny where Com Games fit with the rest of the world because the Commonwealth Games, your competition is is really altered from say a, a Paralympics or a World Champs, but it sits in this space in Australian sport because it's the green and gold, because we're quite successful in it, that it's just like a, a, a heartfelt competition. Mm. Uh, and to, 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 for that to be my last race for Australia, in Australia, I had my family with me. Uh, there's a moment There's a moment after that race I would win. Uh, as far as numbers-wise, it would be... It would be one of my one of my perfect races. I had a an average heart rate at 195 beats per minute. I would crest out about 213. Like my body was just, it was ready to just 
really hurt. It was ready to just rip things apart to get to that finish line. And the mentality was great. It was a, it was a struggle in the lead up to it, but the mentality on the line was the, 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 the most, I guess, uh, uh, um, uh, resolute as I had ever been. And then there's this, you know, crossing the finish line and having Steve Monaghetti whispering me, asking me whether or not I'd carry the flag for Australia into the closing ceremony, yeah. you know, saying that there's no greater rep for Australia that to rep what we're doing here and what we represent than you. And then, you know, 10 minutes after that to share the podium with my, my wife and kids. And, and that's one of the moments that it breaks through, that it becomes real. Where, and you sit there and they were only six months and four year old and then, and they may never remember it mm. um, but for me I'll never forget it it's it's that moment right there it's like eh, whenever I even see it it's like the the floor opens up underneath you you know and you you feel like you're you're fallen because that was the crossover that made sport really feel like it was real life <sighs> You just gave me goosebumps. Um, <laughs> I remember watching that race and I remember watching that moment and it for me that was the iconic. And, and I was wondering if that was going to be your favourite because it was amazing to watch and feel like I was a part of. I was very heavily into a newborn phase. I just had my um, baby girl, <laughs> Edwina, so I was on the couch, but I felt your emotion. I felt every... Everything. I felt everything that you were feeling and it was just so magical to watch. And I want to ask, what's it like as an athlete to kind of go out on a high? Because a lot of the time, a lot of athletes don't get to go out on highs. They kind of either peter off into no man's land um, before retirement or they've forced into retirement due to illness or, or injury. What was that like to know that you had literally put your heart and soul out there in this one final race for the green and gold? I had always, I'd always had in my mind that, and it's, it's probably from, and this is a weird connection, but 1991 grand final, Roycey Simmons, he's my cousin. Oh. <laughs> and I'm 10 <laughs> years old. I'm 10 years old. And I watched Roycey sprint to the finish line. His last game, his last game, he would score two tries, win the grand final, never pull on the jersey mm. again. And, and this idea of sprinting to the finish line was always in the back of my head that I wanted to make sure that that I finished on on terms that I really wanted to. If and finish early, you know, like if I, if there's any doubt in it, then, then finish early. Mm. Um, and probably, actually, I remember it was, uh, it was January 4, I thought I'd messed it up mm. because January 4 of 2018, I went to training and for the first time in 25 years, I got to training and, and left. And I, I told my coach that, I didn't want to be here anymore and I, I didn't want to do it. Wow. And uh, two days in a row I did it and the third day I kind of took some steps to, to make sure that it didn't happen again and I, I kind of started really wrestling with the what what I wanted and what was getting in the road and, and why now and 
but yeah, for those few days, I was done. Like I was hundred percent done, and it did for the first time in those twenty five years. I, I would I would start to get a uh, a help of a sports psych, and it just it just cleared the fog a bit, and mm. um, it allowed me really. And again, we had a six month old and mm. a four year old, and I was working a couple of jobs that I really loved outside of sport, and I you know like. So everything's just kind of tearing in different directions. And if, if, like, you know what's required to win that gold medal and it requires ripping everything up, you know, for, for a short period of time. And it and requires huge sacrifice, but not just of you, but of your Family. kids, of, of your partner, of, you know, everyone around you. And, and it was... And it was the guilt of having to do that and it was the everything just weighed up. But I think that everyone knew that I really, really, really wanted that and I had that in my mind and I'd spoken about it since I think I, I, I realised that this was going to be a big part of my life. I'd spoken about finishing and sprinting to the line, mm. sprinting to the line. Um, and physically I was fine. Um, like, thank goodness. I, I, I Injury wasn't there. And to do it, that's why it's that's why it's the most memorable moment that's mm. why it's the kind of proudest moment but shit it was hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like i literally it, have nothing left <laughs> it was like oh man like even like to to watch that race back and every now and then i go to do a function and they play that race and there's parts of it where i look and I can see my head rolling. And I know my head's rolling because I, I've got, like, very little control over anything. Mm. And in that moment, the arms are still moving and the chair's still going forwards. But in me, I know that, like, in that one particular moment, it's with about 500 metres to go, uh, I, I've, I saw the footage of it. I'm actually going down the hill and I do a push and then I hear my head. And see my head roll, and I just remember thinking that I've stuffed it, you know, and I'm done. I'm gonna, I can't. I'm gonna wake up and be, in, you know, not have been able to take the turn, or and anyway. But everything about that race was knife edge, and everything about that race was kind of consuming and amazing. And like, I'm so grateful that I was able to sprint to that line. And but there were so many things that just could have made it tilt on the other side. And it, when I'm in reflection, I feel like it was just tiptoeing down a sideline and then this just incredible vacuum of just joy was at the end of it. It was, it was awesome. How do you come off that then? Because, you know, so often um, athletes talk about post-Olympic blues, post-Paralympic blues, you reach this pinnacle, you have this moment that is so high and full of adrenaline and, and joy and relief. Most often that feeling of relief is really powerful. Huge. Huge. How do you come off that and then move into the real world? Like how do you, how do you transition out of that? In reflection, 
uh, there was a bit of a mistake. So I left the Gold Coast the next morning and I went to race in London Marathon the week oh after. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Just well, throw a was, London Marathon it, in there. <laughs> look, I, but it, it, I would have, uh, in reflection, I should have taken oh, a week or a month with my family and, mm-hmm. and allowed that moment to sink in. But also, like, it was just for, for parts of my job was my job. Parts of that sport was your job. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had separate that the green and gold, the green and gold was less my job. That was, uh, I, I always like uh, Dan Kowalski's um, definition of what, the green and gold means and he's like it's your it's your childhood teddy that you you, you just never let go of mm. and you hold close to you for you know for 20 years yeah. after um but the london marathons the new york marathons they were kind of they were your, your job so you had to just get back into gear and and get back over there and and do that thing and look I always, I, 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 Daniel, uh, Danny Dettori always told me that just be gentle on yourself. Um, when you do go to transition, you, you, you're changing not just your life, but you're changing a part of who you are. Mm. For and, and that's for every games. So, you know, every games, you are Athens, you know, you are Beijing, then you're London, uh, and then... And then you reassess, and it's like I am Gold Coast, you yep. know. <laughs> uh, and and once that's done, you do beat yourself up a bit, especially if it's not as successful as you would like. That's that's probably even more danger of getting the come down. Mm. Um, but I think just being gentle, you know, uh, making sure that if you do feel shit, mm. being okay with that for a bit, you know, not kind of beating yourself up again because you're wondering, why do I feel shit? <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> because and then you just I must be cycle shit into because it. I'm feeling shit. What's, what's, what's wrong with me? I just had one of the most incredible moments of the life, but I feel rubbish. I'm a, I'm a horrible person. Yeah, but clearly. You've just, <laughs> but you've just had, you're like you've just had one of the most intense moments that people can have. Mm. I, you know, like you've you've shared a moment that, is that childhood teddy that you kept to yourself that you carried for 20 years and then you invited millions of people into that moment with you and you either celebrated with them or you showed the most vulnerable part of yourself with them and then all of a sudden you're sitting back on your couch going, what just happened? So there's going to be a, wait, well, that happened, that was amazing incredible mind-blowing all that just happened and you're a bit broken-hearted and it's okay to feel a bit rubbish for both of those yeah it's okay and having my coach in 2000 after my first game said to me you have to go to uni um and he goes not for the reasons that you think your friends aren't going to be the athletes they're not going to be your you know just you you the people that you're training with every day or the people you're competing with he goes you need a network outside of this and i want you to go and have a have a beer with them and i want you to, to you know just live that life for a, a a couple of years and and they that's where i met my wife and that's where 
my support network grew that I knew they didn't care as well. Like they didn't care whether it worked or not. You know, it probably just changed the scale of, actually, no, it it doesn't change the scale of drinking because <laughs> if it's really good, it's a crazy party yeah. celebration. If but it's if really it's bad, it's a crazy commiserations party. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't mind. Like the people around you don't mind. You individuals, we become obsessed with it and we, we think it's everything. But mm-hmm. sometimes you just during that period, especially you just need to sit down and look at the people that you love, look at the people in your world and just remind yourself that they don't care about last week. Mm. They care that you're home now. Yeah. You know, they, they care that you can rock up to their birthday and be a part of that support network with everyone. Like it's great. It's fun. Those huge moments, but it's not you. Mm. And it's not forever. (laughs) It's definitely not forever. <laughs> not forever. Do you think having that support network outside of the sport helped you make that transition to kind of keep your yes. feet on? Or even during your competition, like even during your training and your competing as an athlete, do you think that kind of helped you keep your feet on the ground and, and you know, grounded? It helped in both ways. So it extended my career and it also allowed me to transition. And I would say as well that one of the things that really helped in the transition period was the understanding of purpose and the understanding that the purpose, that that the sport played a part in the purpose. You know, the wins played a part in the purpose, but the purpose wasn't the wins. So the purpose was that I had these external things that were going on and and sport allowed me access into it or the the wins allowed me to build something extra on the external, like the 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 purpose, the values, the all this sort of stuff. But mm. having a, a solid understanding and it was really forced forced on me this idea of external purpose because and through the luxury that when you are a Paralympian sometimes you get forced into representing something more, even though you may not have even ever intending intended on being that person that mm-hmm. that 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 you find yourself in a position that very few people with disability with your with your life kind of get given. And then when you find yourself there, you realize pretty quickly that you need to, I don't know, do something to justify it or make sure that the good comes of it that more people are able to follow you and and that was one of the real benefits to transition as well is that purpose became outside of the result and outside of the sport i know that a lot of athletes feel sometimes overwhelmed by the idea of being a role model and having that responsibility to be a certain type of person have you felt that in your transition and in, in your purpose? Because so much of what I can see of you is that disability advocacy that you are so incredible at. But I imagine that can create a whole sense of responsibility for a whole generation of, of young athletes coming through behind you. And it's hard. Mm. You know, as a, as an athlete, you you um, 
you get to sit in a position where, you know, there is some pushback sometimes, but when you are, when you jump into the advocacy space, there is a lot of pushback every time. Yeah. You know, like the first time I realized that I was going into that space, you, you, you do end up with a hundred, a hundred hate mail messages that come through, you know, like I just, and, and, and it turns up and it's, it's, it's directly to you, you know, it's finding any medium that they, they could get this note to you that says that you're a jerk or, 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 or says, you know, lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it's confronting because, you know, throughout my career, there were a couple of moments that did instigate, um, you know, that sort of feedback because of the racing part, but, uh, but few, mm. the majority is, the majority is really positive. Even in the, even in the, the tough days is, you know, the majority of the messages that you get because, you know, ma the majority of people in this country really want to support the green and gold. And mm. um, so then getting into the advocacy space, there's pressure. It's daunting. Mm. And it's hard. And I, I do feel for our young athletes coming through, and I always speak to them, make sure that you do it when you're comfortable, if you're comfortable. Mm. You can be the amazing athlete who who never says a word about advocacy but excels in a way in sport that is undeniable that there are lessons to be learnt there. Or you may be that person that wants to lean into and speak about issues that you feel comfortable about, but make sure you do it when you're ready and on your terms because there is pressure there and there is some uncomfortable parts of advocacy that you need to be ready for. Do you feel like sport prepared you for those hard parts of, of, of advocacy or is it still just uh, you're learning? <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> well, look, it really hurt. Like the first time when I, you do get... You know, you you turn on the radio and you're coming home and, you know, one of the radio stations are saying that you've lost the plot or something, you know. And oh, God, that's I couldn't even hard. imagine. Such a people pleaser. I'd be like, oh, no, don't, don't. Well, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, really hard. So I don't think sport, I think just you've got to learn when you're going through that and, understanding who you are, I, I would say the other way around, that the advocacy allowed me to understand who I who I really am because I had to stand for things, you know, value-driven things, not medals, but things that are tied to my values and tied to my purpose. And I had to, you had to make a stand for those things. And then understanding who you are made you ready to, do a race and feel comfortable to respond to questioning regardless of how fatigued you were, regardless of how happy or sad you were because you had the values thing sorted and the confidence that I'm ready to to be me because I know the worst case scenario. Mm. I, I would say that that helped in the long term, um, but I would still encourage people to only do it should they really have the passion and on their terms when they feel like they can do it because otherwise it can be pretty uh, arduous. Has there been, can you think of a specific comment that has stuck with you, like your lowest moment in those 
stages of of moving into the advocacy space? Yeah, there's a few. Um, Advocating for the NDIS, I remember getting this message saying, why should I pay for the NDIS? Uh, Because your parents didn't have the foresight to abort you. Um, And, and, you know, like as a responsible person, if I saw, you know, like that is just such a dark place for somebody to be in. It's like it was. It was impressively dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, congratulations for being super dark. I guess if I if I if I tried to cut at the core of another person, I could never come up with that. But there's somebody that uh, there's somebody out there that that's what they see when they hear someone talk about the the need to ensure that every Australian gets to experience life the way each and every, you know, person who is non-disabled has the ability to do. And then somebody hears it in a way that that message got sent to me. I It stayed with me because it's just a realisation that I will never... I will never be on the same wavelength as that person. Mm. I will never change their view and don't put any energy into it. Let it be. Move on and 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 win the battle that you can win, you know? Although I do have it saved in my screenshots because <laughs> <laughs> I do just to remind you. <laughs> well, just as a uh, if I do get a message, I'm like, could be worse. It could be worse. Than this one. <laughs> this, could be worse. So this is a good comparison. <laughs> this isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, I've seen worse. Yeah, you just called me a jerk. At least you didn't talk about the requirement of my mother reporting me. That's probably that's probably a little bit better. I can deal with jerk. Okay, <laughs> God, you just. What an amazing perspective and attitude you have to life. Like you're just amazing. I just have so much admiration and respect for you. Sorry, I'm just, I could just go on and on about how much I love you. Anyway, <laughs> that would get weird. Um, so what are you doing? No, no, let's keep talking <laughs> about it. Wait, you've said... <laughs> You've said how good I am. When's it my turn to say how good I am? <laughs> what do you do now? So obviously you have your advocacy that you're so clearly passionate about. What else do you do? Because, you know, going from doing marathons all of the time, I imagine you have quite a lot of energy now that you're retired. <laughs> Where do you channel that energy? So within a month or two after after finishing in the Gold Coast, I'd see, I'd, I'd go in just for a regular checkup to my doctor and he's been the same doctor that I've had for, uh, well, since I was a teenager, I think. Um, and he said that, Kurt, you've had the needle in the record. You, you, you've, you've had your life going in a certain direction for such a long period of time. Um, you need to put a new record down. Because mm. you had etched it so deep in that record, and that's why you became really, really good at what you do. But you need to put a record down, and you need to use a completely different type, part of your brain. And uh, he wanted me to paint, and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'd always, I'd always written in a in a in my journal, but 
when I was 17, I did some work experience with a broadcaster and I remember doing it and loved it. I interviewed the great Louise Savage in 1990, I think it was seven, 97. um, And I remember finishing it and just thinking that there's no way, there's no job there for a guy in a chair. It just didn't seem, didn't seem real. And when I finished at the Gold Coast, I would, uh, I would go out and buy podcast gear. <laughs> and I, I started my first podcast about three months after that. I called uh, Rob DeCostella and, and asked Rob whether or not he would be my guest on a podcast. And he said, what, you've got a podcast? And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally You're definitely not my first interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I listened back to it the other day and, my God, it was terrible. But it was... Uh, <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Uh, right? Well, I really love sharing stories. I really, really, really loved sharing stories. And I continued that run it's, it's, uh, on Tiny Island. I created a couple other ones um, around disability and the creation of the NDIS. Um, then there was some jobs with the ABC where I was able to take on one plus one on the ABC, yes. which was amazing. amazing and incredible. There's a few other things that kind of I've, I've been, I opened myself up to it and now I'm kind of running towards it because I enjoy it so much. And, but alongside that, there's a thousand different kind of programs working on the board of, of, of Paralympics Australia or athlete advisor and the international Paralympic committee, so engaging in my sport at a different kind of space and then working in employment around around people with disability. I think over the last, up until COVID, I was working with an organisation where we went to 480 people with disabilities employed, uh, real jobs, like meaningful jobs, not segregated, not isolated, but in amongst their non-disabled peers. Uh, I was working in, uh, in one of the most biggest joys was I have a little school in the middle of Ni- a, 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 a township or a slum in Nairobi. It's called um, the Makuru Slum. There's the Kurt Fernley Centre there with 80 kids with disabilities. And that had grown from eight in five years. So all of those have continued. Working with a, an organisation that's uh, that's a, a startup, but just good people uh, in Compete Nutrition where they... <laughs> they're jumping into a space to, for for healthy body image and 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 uh, uh, understanding about food that it's you can have a really healthy relationship with food as an athlete because it just has so many complexities as an athlete because if you don't get that good advice it can be you can have guilt over food or it can be it can escalate into so many different parts of your life but working with them to get into uh, the sporting system and and, and introduce healthy, positive, constructive kind of uh, uh, spaces for for people. So, look, I, I bought a farm as well. So, you know what, I'm not bored. I, so I, I, there's a lot. Let's, let's just re- recap. So you've gone from being an overachiever in sport <laughs> to being an overachiever out of sport. I'm glad to see that that's continued. <laughs> I, I, I learned last year that... I need to do stuff, Mm. you know, in the middle of COVID. Although previously I would have said that where's your favourite space, Kurt? And I would have said alone at home Mm. with my kids. Mm. Um, But in the middle of that, I learned how much I actually really enjoy people. Mm. And then, um, 
Yeah, and I, I like being busy, and I like to uh, I like to f- find people that are really passionate and positive, and 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 wanting to work and create things. And it's uh, yeah, it it's allowed me to kind of put that into different avenues. Do you think you would coach? Never. I'd be a terrible coach. <laughs> would you? No. Would you? I would be a no. terrible coach. I'd be so impatient that I'd just be like, just do the session. <laughs> but I'd coach people like me who would be like bludgers at the end of the pool. <laughs> um, I think that I, because I had such really like such pinch yourself kind of success, I, I would feel like it's a bit unfair also for for an athlete to have me as their coach because I don't want to be the benchmark, you know. The benchmark can't be what my experience was because that's really unfair. I, I think that's really, really unfair. Um, and I had a good coach. He, he coached me for 25 years and he was really good and he has a different skill set to me. Yeah. And I recognise that. Yeah. He was able to put his own thing, stuff out of the road and, and just see what I needed and, and he would, you know, he wouldn't jump from naught to 100. He would, he would give those building block stages for me to get there and I, I will work with my, like, the, the young kids coming through. I'll, I'll help find funding for them. I'll introduce them to places and organisations that are, I found were really helpful. I will invite them into my house. They can, they can stay with us and, 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 and I can be a part of that, but not a coach. Yeah, no, it's not for me. <laughs> not for me, no. Would you do anything different in, uh, other than not going to London the day after? <laughs> Would you do anything different um, in that transition? Well, it's it's so hard with hindsight. I, I would probably tell myself to slow down. Mm. Um, I would probably say that, and and people did tell me at the period of time, there will be things next year. Um, like there is this fear uh, because it is somewhat of a, it can be a reality that you cross that final finish line and the and the phone stops ringing. Yeah, you become you irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're told. And there's. We're told that, well, like, once you're done, you're no one's interested anymore. Once you're done, you're done. Capitalise while you got the thing, you know. So, like, I think that when I crossed that finish line, I just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and was exhausted <laughs> as well. Um, but it also, like, in reflection, I would have told myself to slow down, but also that was an experience in itself, you know. Like, I probably had my come down 12 months after that race just because I was consumed with a million things that next 12 months. So you've got two little ones. Would you get them into sport? Yeah, definitely. My, my, my young fellow wants to race wheelchairs. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> he is uh, – I have I just give them options like menus, right? Like you just open up doors for them and, and you see which one they go through. So uh, I think Harry uh, Harry – We've been able to give him options into a lot of different sports, but he chose Brazilian jiu-jitsu and cricket. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, the little one. Awesome. <laughs> well, but it was like we went through we went through swimming, we went through soccer, and it just didn't work. And those two just they've stuck. Uh, the little one, she's she's only three, but she's already she's swimming. She loves 
loves swimming. Um, but it's their door to open, mm. you know, like it's not mine. But how do you um, find that balance? I, because, you know, obviously your experience, you'll be like, oh, look at all these amazing things you can do. But also you, you, you do you. You just find your passion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's that. So, yeah, it is. There is incredible life out there through sport. Sport changed the way that I saw myself. Sport opened up the world to me. But I didn't go there because mum and dad taught me. I, I, I went there because I found what I loved there. And if mum and dad would have told me, I wouldn't have went that way. So it's about making sure that you open enough doors for them that they might be able to find what they love in it. Um, but I hope that they're not yeah. professional. <laughs> I hope that they have a lifelong experience with sport and I hope that it is, you know, something that is really positive in their life. But sport is like they need to truly, truly love it, mm. truly love it before they decide to make it, uh, you know, a profession or a, or, a, or a life because it is one of those journeys that you have to tiptoe down and there are just so many um, moments that require sheer grit, determination, but just good fortune as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, they, they need to make sure that they are in love with that thing before I would be super excited about seeing them do it. Yeah. I think one of my favourite memories of you other than the 2018 Cornwall Games was your speech uh, for the Don Award. Um, you, were the first, you were the first Paralympic athlete to win um, the prestigious Sport Australia Hall of Fame Don Award. And I just... I think Australia in that moment really embraced the idea of inclusivity for um, Paralympic athletes, athletes with a disability. Do you recognise, did you know that that was going to be such a huge moment in that space? You know, when there's certain moments that you, like as soon as I got the phone call, um, to say that I'd won the award and I was going to be in Chicago and I couldn't get back for it. And they said, would they be able to send up Bruce McAvaney to, to interview me for the receipt of the award? Mm. And I'm, I thought, I love Bruce McAvaney. It would be amazing, but I need to say something, you know? Can, can you let me say something? Like, uh, you know, I when you're just that. like... You, you wanted to... I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. And it, it was... Um, yeah, the second that I got the call, it was, please don't yet let me, I want to do, I just want to say something. It's like, I've got to get something off my chest, you know, like it was there. I've got something I want to say. <laughs> let me say Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said, and if it's no good, absolutely. Like if it's no good, please, uh, uh, you know, send up, um, send up Bruce. Um, just can I, can I, can I just say something first and see whether or not it fits? And so I didn't have notes and I, I, I went into the into my ABC studio and I, I shot it. And the first time I was like, I think that was good. And then I tried to do another 15 of them and I was like, it's got to be the first one. And <laughs> and it, it was just, it was one of those moments where you go, okay, there's something that's worth saying here. And like, I think I, I recognised it immediately because that room 
is that room is the green and gold. You know, like I think we all carry around our part of it. You know, like you got you got your patch in there. You know, like and I was able to put my patch in there, and in that room, there's a thousand patches. Like that's that's that room is important, and part of me recognised that. I've got to speak to these guys about something that I think is important. And if I take that moment and they've given me the stage, then back yourself and do it. And I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad I did because I think that that did hit a mark and uh, I think that it did kind of land where I wanted it to land. And and I think the, the legends that were in this room were very generous in, in, in the response to it as well. I... I'm so glad you made your mark uh, in every, in everything that you've done from Paralympic Games to Commonwealth Games to marathons to the Kokoda track to everything you've done since. Um, what would you say to other athletes who are about to retire? Oh, um, uh, it's so different. I would, it depends on the circumstances around it. Like if if it's somebody that's about to re- retire because of uh, an injury, all I would do is hug them. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a conversation in the last games. I took every one of our kids aside who were going into their first games and uh, I, w- I, I told them all, that I don't care whether they get a gold and silver and bronze. And, like, and that's that doesn't matter here. You know, who you are right now is someone that I love and I'm proud of and and I understand the sacrifices you made just to get here. So whatever happens on that stage, however you think it affects the outside world or it doesn't affect how I see you, just doesn't affect it. Gold, silver, bronze, eighth, twentieth, it doesn't affect it. Uh, it's it's how you compete and how you held yourself during that moment is what I am proud of. Uh, I would try and be the person that reminds the individual of their journey. I would remind them of the good. I would remind them of the good of how they held themselves when it was bad. Mm. And I'd give them a hug because it's devastating when you when you're retiring under an injury cloud or or it feels like it's been forced upon you devastating so um but in the preparation an athlete in the later latter half of the career i would say start building the purpose you know start building the idea of who you are and make sure that that purpose and idea isn't just sport you know not even 50% of it. The purpose needs to be, and the idea of who you are needs to have something on the outside. And then remind them of the reality that those people on that outside, they love you because of who you are, not because what you've been doing. How do you think the athletes are feeling leading into Tokyo Olympics, Tokyo Paralympics? I, I've I've been noticing there's kind of two different types. Um, there, there's there's one group of athletes that want to know everything that's going to happen. You know, obsessed with the, 
you know, the levels of isolation, the effectiveness of vaccines, the potential for, uh, you know, bubbles for quarantine. They want to know everything. And uh, some of it is because they're able to um, put coping strategies around them should they be in that place. And I'll some of them control. is to... <laughs> hey, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or some of them it's to get the knowledge to decide whether or not they actually go. Yeah, um, very good point. But there are others that that uh, I don't want to know about it. I'll deal with it when I've got to deal with it. And they are single-minded and focused into that one objective. But it is the single hardest preparation that any of our athletes would have ever had to go through. Mm, and I say that saying that every single Games has been going to be disastrous for the month in the lead up to it, all of them. From mm. Sydney, traffic's going to ruin the city. Athens, they won't even have it built. Beijing, will the people actually get it? Uh, London, it was the traffic again and <laughs> the cost. Uh, Rio, it was crime, you know, but all of Zika the months virus. they get there were just, yeah, that Zika virus. Yeah, like every one of them had a looming disaster where this actually has some huge, huge things associated with it. Huge. Um, so it is going to be no doubt the most challenging incredibly um, hard environments that our athletes have ever had to deal with. On the other side, we will talk about those that compete in these games for a century. Thank you, Kurt, uh, for all of your time. It's just been such a, such a pleasure. Anytime. If you liked today's conversation with Kurt Fernley as much as I did, please make sure you subscribe, review, rate, do all the things, share on Instagram. Um, I really appreciate and otherwise I have another wonderful conversation for you next week. So I will chat to you then. Bye.